Welcome to the KPMG Financial Reporting Podcast Series, delivering fresh insights and perspectives around major accounting and financial reporting developments across a range of timely topics. We thank you for joining today. Hello, I'm John Barbagallo, a Managing Director at KPMG. And in today's episode, I have the pleasure of discussing some of the highlights from the recent 2022 AICPA SEC conference with three of my colleagues from KPMG's Department of Professional Practice, Nick Tricarchi, Angie Storm, and Dan Langloy. During the three-day conference, we heard from regulators, standard setters, and practitioners on an assortment of topics. And today, Nick, Angie, and Dan will share their insights on one of those topics, financial reporting in economic uncertainty. Our discussion today will focus on three general areas, reassessing and modifying certain contracts, the impact of inflation on our current environment, and a topic that seems like we've been focusing on for years now, impairment. So Nick, let's start with you. It would seem to me that companies will be inclined to reassess and modify certain contracts during periods of economic uncertainty. So give us some examples of the types of modifications we would expect to see. Yeah, that, that's absolutely right, John. I mean, really, there's many different types of contracts that a company could modify during times like these, either to negotiate more favorable terms for themselves or respond to needs of their customers. This includes, you know, lease agreements, debt agreements, revenue contracts, and even share-based payments with their employees. And those latter two, uh, revenue and stock comp, are the ones that we in DPP tend to get the most accounting questions on. Yeah, thanks, Nick. So you mentioned revenue contracts, right? So tell us a little bit more about the types of modifications we're seeing with respect to revenue contracts and some of the related accounting considerations. Sure. So what we're starting to see with a lot of our clients and their vendors is renegotiating some of their existing contracts to potentially reduce minimum quantity commitments or adjust delivery schedules for certain goods and services or change the price of those goods or services or maybe extending or modifying the payment terms. And from an accounting perspective, really any time that a revenue contract is amended to either impact its original scope, meaning the amounts and types of goods or services that will ultimately be provided, or its pricing, company is going to be required to assess that change under the specific contract modification guidance in topic 606. And under 606, a contract modification is accounted for in one of three ways, depending on how the scope and price are ultimately impacted. The first way is it could either be just an entirely new separate contract with no impact on the original one, or it could be a newly modified contract that's accounted for prospectively over the remaining term. This is often referred to as the the blend and extend method. And then the last way is, you know, a company might have to recognize a cumulative catch-up adjustment to revenue in the period that the modification happens. Thanks, Nick, very helpful. Earlier, you mentioned share-based payments as well and their arrangements. So tell us what you're seeing with modifying those types of contracts. Yes, maybe just a bit of context. You know, a lot of these arrangements have vesting criteria that are tied to what's called performance conditions in the accounting guidance. And this could be something like a a company achieving a certain sales target or going through an IPO. And so, you know, in light of the current macroeconomic environment, we're starting to see companies start to modify 
these awards and specifically to lower those performance targets as a way to continue motivating their employees towards you know the company's goals so for example you know an original sales target may no longer be attainable based on where the company sits today and so it might lower that target to make it more likely that its employees actually end up vesting in those awards so from an accounting perspective these are referred to most likely as improbable to probable modifications, meaning at the date the modification was made, it probably wasn't likely that the award would vest because this performance target wouldn't have been achieved. But after the modification with a lower target, it might become probable of vesting. And so in those situations, the guidance in topic 718 requires a company to actually recognize a cumulative catch up to whatever stock comp expense has been recorded up to that point using the fair value of the newly modified award and importantly you know this is just one type of modification that could happen to a share-based payment there's many others and really the point is any change to a share-based payment arrangement that impacts either its fair value its vesting conditions or its classification will have an accounting impact and something companies need to be mindful of yeah thanks nick great overview Angie, turning to you, we heard the word inflation several times during the conference and how rising interest rates and a recession were some of the drivers of today's economic uncertainty. So tell us what sort of financial reporting implications can result from the current inflationary environment. Yeah, sure, John. Uh, certainly inflation can affect financial reporting in a bunch of areas. It most directly probably affects a company's costs, and that effect on those costs can be quite broad. Um, unfortunately, inflation doesn't always have a timely and corresponding increase in the prices that companies can charge through to customers, though. So that dynamic may certainly put pressure on margins and forecasted margins, which are often key inputs to companies' long-lived asset and goodwill impairment testing. And those impairment analyses, not just the cash flow estimates, but some of those can also be really sensitive to discount rates. So as you said, John, a rising interest rate environment can have a very significant impact to some companies. Dan's actually going to talk a bit more later about considerations relative to impairment testing in a few minutes. Yeah, thanks, Angie. Yeah, looking forward to hearing from Dan on the impairment issues. But before we get to Dan, what are some of the other areas of financial reporting that may be impacted by inflation? Yeah, John, I mean, obviously, the, the rising interest rate environment most directly affects fair value measurements and impairment cash flow analyses and measurement, but it also affects any measurement that involves a discount rate. So, for example, measuring a lease liability and a right of use asset. So if companies have new leases in this environment or certain modifications to existing leases, like Nick just talked about, they may need to adjust the discount rates that they've used historically for similar transactions. Another area particularly sensitive to discount rates is pension and OPEB accounting. In a rising rate environment, the value of those liabilities go down, so that dynamic and isolation is favorable from an expense perspective, but the stock market declines that are accompanying those rising interest rates will have the opposite effect on the overall expense to the extent that they drive declines in the expected future returns on plan assets. 
The one other item I'd like to mention too is inventory valuation. As we talked about relative to asset and goodwill, and that some companies are experiencing margin pressure as inventory costs might be increasing faster and steeper than prices that companies can charge for end products. So that may certainly have an impact on what the net realizable value is for that inventory. And I just remind folks, John, that inventory is carried at the lower of cost or net realizable value. So that's definitely a consideration. Yeah, thanks, Angie. Very helpful. Dan, turning to you, it, it seems we've been concentrating on impairment issues for the last few years, beginning with the pandemic. So tell us what are some of the questions that preparers should be asking themselves as they approach their annual impairment tests? Sure thing, John. And I think in the current environment, there's probably a whole bunch of questions that sort of pop to mind. So let me just hit on a few of them. We start with maybe the more obvious ones like company stock price. So we know that a prolonged decline in a company's stock price could either be an impairment trigger or if you're already performing a goodwill impairment test, that stock price decline obviously impacts the process you're going through to perform a reconciliation of market cap or the implied control premium that comes out of that exercise and supporting that premium could be more challenging. So that's the first item. I would also say the projections that Angie talked about, what we call PFI, projections of financial information, can be more challenging given the uncertainties of the current environment, both making sure you're factoring in these cost price increases that Angie referenced and perhaps the effects of supply chain disruptions or the pending recession that many are, are forecasting, are those really appropriately reflected in, in any projections that are going into impairment tests or potentially just thinking about impairment triggers? Then you think about maybe for long-lived assets, is the company responding to the current environment by changing how assets are being used perhaps over a shorter period of time or even considering closing of facilities or discontinuing the use of of other operational assets those could be triggers to perform a recoverability assessment of long-lived assets as angie mentioned uh making sure that the discount rates are reflective of the current interest rate environments both the risk-free rate as well as any entity specific risk premiums that should be factored into that discount rate yeah, thanks, Dan. You know, you mentioned goodwill, you mentioned indefinite long-lived assets. We see in practice many calendar year companies will perform their annual impairment test on a date other than December 31st, either earlier in the fourth quarter or earlier in the year. So tell us what those entities should be thinking about with respect to, say, a fourth quarter assessment. Yeah, I would just start with a reminder that monitoring for triggering events is really a continuous assessment, right? So even in the fourth quarter or during the fourth quarter, we're going to think about that. So if you performed your annual impairment test of goodwill or indefinite lived intangibles at an earlier date, say October 1st, it's possible that another test might be needed as of year end if those conditions have worsened since the date of that last test. Also, bear in mind that goodwill reporting units for indefinite lived intangibles that might have been partially impaired in recent periods. I always think of those as being actually more susceptible to impairment. And, and the same is true for a recent acquisition that might have been put into its own reporting unit. And in both of those scenarios, 
there is initially no cushion between fair value and carrying amount, right? They're set at the same amount. So further impairment uh, might arise simply due to the fact that we've got worsening macroeconomic conditions. So even if that business is performing as it was expected when it was acquired or at the date of the last test, some of these macroeconomic conditions may nonetheless contribute to a current impairment. Yeah, you know, Dan, you mentioned a few different types of non-financial assets that could possibly face impairment. Um, a question that always comes up is, you know, what's the order in which these assets are tested for impairment? Yeah, there is a sequencing to think about, John. So let me give you an example. Let's assume that a company might think they're, uh, they have a potential goodwill impairment in the fourth quarter, for example. And I'd say before jumping directly into that goodwill impairment testing at the reporting unit level, you want to think about other assets that are included in that reporting unit. So I would start with assets, or you should be starting with assets outside of the scope of topic 350 itself or 360. So think of things like working capital assets, such as inventory or receivables, or perhaps investments in equity securities, if any of those are allocated to the reporting unit and recognize any impairments or write down of those assets if they exist. Then you would move on to indefinite live intangible assets that are part of that reporting unit. Think of brands or trade names, recognize any impairment that might exist on those assets as a second step. Third, you move on to long-lived assets, such as fixed assets or finite live intangibles or right-of-use assets for leases. And if those are impaired, you would recognize the required impairment under Topic 360. And only then do you actually move on to your goodwill test. So you would take the carrying amount of that reporting unit, adjust for those other impairments, if any, then compare that adjusted carrying amount to fair value to determine if you've got a impairment at the goodwill reporting unit level. Nick, Angie, and Dan, thank you so much for spending time chatting with us today. This was a great overview of one of the many topics discussed at the conference, and I look forward to speaking with you on future podcasts. Thanks again. Thank you for listening to this KPMG Financial Reporting Podcast. For more in-depth financial reporting developments, analysis, and podcast episodes, please visit frv.kpmg.us and be sure to subscribe today. Also, we are social. You can also follow us on LinkedIn at KPMG Financial Reporting View or with hashtag KPMG FRV.